Some of us are described as organized and some of us are more fly by the seat of our pants. But on some level, we all get frustrated with a lack of organization or lack of communication or lack of, of leadership. My wife and I in the past have tried to sign our, our kids up for a, a sports program and when it before it came time for the actual game, we knew there was supposed to be a game at this point in time, but we hadn't actually received any communication, practice times, schedule, uh, who the, what team they were on or anything like that. We didn't know who was in charge, who to talk to. And that was a challenge. It was difficult. It was frustrating. We didn't know if we should get our money back. Lack of organization, lack of leadership is something that frustrates our world you go into any bookstore, you'll see tons of books about leadership, tons of books about how to organize your life. People are trying to fix this problem. You go into any app store, and you'll find tons and tons of productivity apps, how to make sure you're organized. We don't like a lack of, of those things, organization and leadership, or very few of us do at least. Most of us would not like a lack of leadership in a big picture sense. There's a word we have for that, anarchy. Most of us do not think positively about that word. In his autobiography, Chesley Sullenberger, the hero pilot who crash landed his plane in the Hudson years ago, he spoke about his experience in the airline industry. He said, in the cultures of some companies, management depends heavily on the innate goodness and professionalism of its employees to compensate for systemic deficiencies, chronic understaffing, and substandard contractors. It's not a good experience. In the Old Testament, it was described in terms of Israel and their leadership as a sheep and shepherd. Moses, when he was coming to the end of his days leading Israel, he prayed that Israel would have someone to come and continue leading them. He prayed that they would have another shepherd. He prayed for what would be Joshua and then continued on to be Jesus, the shepherd of Israel. And he prayed that they would not be sheep without a shepherd. They would not be a flock without a shepherd. When Babylon was prophesied as destruction in the Old Testament... It was said that when they were destroyed, they would be like sheep without a shepherd. We know that's what happened to Israel too. They had leaders who failed them. Many, a few good leaders, but many bad leaders. And this condemnation appears in Jeremiah 10. For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. And it continues on. In Jeremiah 23, woe to the shepherd who destroys and scatters the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. The idea of a flock without a shepherd is meant to be a pathetic image. According to one of my favorite preachers who was preaching this passage, he said it describes confusion, fear, and a slow, meandering self-destruction of the flock. Lack of leadership, lack of organization. I want to look, as we continue through the beginning stages of the church in the book of Acts, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 6. 
Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at a point in time where there was somewhat of a crisis of organization and leadership. Read with me, follow along. I'll be reading Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God, we pray that your word, as it describes this early church, would give us instruction as a church. Give us clarity. Give us hope and point us to the encouragement we have in the gospel that we can do what you want us to do. That we can be the church that you want us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to see here that we, what we see in this early church, the church needs organization, it needs leadership, it needs servants. And as you saw the subtitle or the title of the sermon, the church needs servants, pastors and deacons. We're going to look specifically at the two offices of pastors and deacons. And you might be wondering why everybody needs to hear this. Shouldn't you just be preaching at you and Pastor Matt and the deacons? Yes, we we need to hear this. But this is written for the whole church. We want to see how these two offices are an integral part of the church. This is how God created the church to be. This is the blueprint of the church. This is a part of it. This is not going to be comprehensive. We're not going to get into everything a pastor is, everything a deacon is or does. But as we look here, I think this will instruct us. It will help us to know what to expect of these offices. As we're looking for a new pastor, help us to have the right expectations of him coming in. And beyond that, what you should expect of any pastor every day of the week, not just when he's new. Then also we're going to conclude then what we as a church need to do about this. Not just look at this picture, but what our church needs to do. So follow along with me here. This first point we're going to look at, the church needs organization. The church is growing. Acts chapter 6 verse 1 says, the disciples were increasing in number, and we've seen that almost every chapter of Acts. The church is growing and growing, but as it grows, the expansion is causing cracks and gaps are being exposed. And people were falling through the cracks. The Hellenists were complaining because the Hebrews, widows, were getting food and and resources from the distribution, they called it, and the Hellenists were not. The Hellenists were Jews, Hebrews, who didn't primarily speak Hebrew, but they spoke Greek. They were more like the 
the secular culture around them, and perhaps there was some sort of prejudice going on there. We don't know exactly, we just know that there was an issue. And there were people falling through the cracks because they had grown so rapidly. We saw at the beginning of the book of Acts, there are a few, a handful of followers, then there were 300, and then there were 500, and then there were 3,000 more, and it keeps growing and growing. And people are falling through the cracks. People fall through the cracks in any organization, even, even the church, even our church. There are some people who don't get a visit when they're in the hospital, or a card, maybe. There are some people who have never been invited to another person's house. There are some people who are having a rough week and no one notices that or is taking the time to encourage them or, or help them. In response to this growth, the church needs oversight and needs organization. It started out as an organic growth of the spirit working in people. Last week I likened it to a, a trellis and a vine. The vine is the spiritual organic growth of the church. And as it's growing, it's growing, it needs some structure and support to sustain it. And at this point in the church, they're needing to inject some organization to help that vine grow. But it was the vine first. We didn't start out as a, an organization, an institution. We're first and foremost a living body of Christ. That body needs structure. The vine needs a trellis. The body needs bones. So we need some organization. Part of that is this next part. The church needs delegates. It needs people to whom responsibility can be delegated. Part of the answer to this specific need that they have is to identify certain people who will fulfill that responsibility. They're told to pick out from among them seven men of good character who will be specifically tasked with this responsibility. And we call them deacons. The word here in verse 2, where it says serving tables, that word serving is a form of the Greek word diakonos, from which we get the word deacon. Deacon is synonymous with serving, people who are designated to serve in a specific role. This isn't the only thing that's said about deacon. It's the only thing actually in the book of Acts, but we get later on into Paul's writings to Timothy and Titus and describes what deacons are expected to do. And we look back at this specific example, seeing that this is, uh, they're, they're chosen to serve in specific ways. They're chosen because some of the responsibilities here, some of the needs that are coming up, were just too much for the apostles. The, the needs of equal distribution of the resources that they had for the widows was something that the apostles were fulfilling back in chapter 4 and chapter 5 when people were selling their things and bringing them to be given to others. They laid them at the apostles' feet and distributing them to the widows as they had need was something the apostles were doing. But the church had grown to the point that that responsibility was posing a challenge on their primary responsibility of ministering the word. And so they said, we, we, can't, we can't do this at the expense of the word. They weren't saying that they were 
They were above those types of responsibilities. It was, it was beneath them to, to wait tables. They just said, if we have to choose, and at this point in time, they had to choose, they had to focus on the ministry of the word. And that's why the church needs someone that those can be delegated to. Because leaders, apostles, can't do everything. It's not a, an expression of, we're too good for that. It's an expression of humility saying, we can't do everything. This is something Moses had to learn the hard way. Back in Exodus chapter 18, when he was leading Israel in the wilderness, his father-in-law came to visit him and saw everything that he was doing, and he told him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. The apostles could not lead the church alone. They needed some who would be delegated to that specific service. So we have deacons who are tasked with service in certain specific ways. And these men have a high mark of of character that's required of them. We won't get into all that, but it's written about later in the New Testament. might think, you know, if they're just serving tables or distributing food, that they wouldn't need to have such a high bar, but God clearly does think so. To, to serve and be ones identified by the church as the ones who are carrying out certain acts of, of service needs to be matched with character that is exemplary, something that we can follow as an example. So because of this model in our church, we have men that are called deacons. We have nine men who fill the office of deacon at any point in time. We also have other places where, where people are designated to, to serve. We have trustees who are kind of doing some of the same things. They're just taking care of our, our physical resources, the building and the grounds on behalf of the, the whole church. We have others who are serving in different ways with delegated responsibility. Again, this is not exhaustive, but we should understand this, and that should help inform us when we're picking deacons, when we're identifying who should be given responsibility, who should serve in certain ways. We should expect the right things of deacons. We should expect them to have high character and to be serving and to help the leaders so that they can be devoted to their responsibility of the ministry of the word. The other side of this, obviously, is uh, these deacons are serving so that the leaders, the apostles, and we will see the pastors can be focused on the ministry of the word because the church does need shepherds. Church needs pastors. What started out as the apostles, the ones being given the primary responsibility of the ministry of the word here in Acts chapter 6, these are the apostles. There were no pastors or other shepherds yet in the church that came later. These men had that responsibility to serve. They, They said that They should not give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In Acts 6, verse 4, they said, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's the same word that we used uh, back in Acts chapter 2 to describe what all followers should do. All followers should be devoted to the preaching of the word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, And if all followers should be devoting themselves consistently, actively devoting themselves to the teaching, then the church needs 
leaders who are devoting themselves to teaching that, who are giving of themselves to do that and to do that well. It started out with the apostles. We see that's passed on to pastors, shepherds of the church. If you'll follow me, turn all the way over to Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at another example of this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20, Paul is meeting with elders, shepherds, pastors from the church in Ephesus. He had spent a lot of time serving in Ephesus. He helped plant the church there and grow it and build it. And he's meeting with them here in this chapter actually to say goodbye to them. He was on his way to Jerusalem to suffer, probably die, he expected, never to see them again. And he was telling them goodbye. And as he speaks to them in verse 18 all the way down to verse 27, he describes and recounts the ministry he had with them. I'll read a few of the verses that kind of sum that up here. Verse 18 through 21, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He sums it up in verse 27. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. His ministry to this church and every church where he went was marked by his ministry of the word. It's been a consistent theme as we've looked here in the book of Acts, the preaching, the proclaiming of the truth about Jesus. But it doesn't just stop with the apostles. He's speaking here to the elders and he passes this on, this charge to them. Starting in verse 28, and he, he summarizes it down in verse 32. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The elders of Ephesus, the pastors of the church, the shepherds of the church, are given the primary responsibility of the ministry of the word. And this, is, this is not an exhaustive look at what a pastor is or should do. Uh, I encourage you, uh, beyond today, to, to spend some time during the ABF hour in here. Uh, there's a discussion ongoing with, with some of our deacons about what a pastor is. As we look for our new pastor, what the right expectations is. That'll be uh, much more in depth than we'll get into today. But the word is primary to the apostles and to elders, pastors, the shepherds of the church. This is how the sheep are fed. All the way back in the chapter 6 we were looking at, the, the word that was used to describe the deacons serving tables, it's the same word that is used to describe the ministry of the word. They're saying we should not give up serving the word to serve tables. Their, their ministry is one of feeding the sheep, serving them with the word. The ministry of the word does that through the preaching of the word. But it's not limited to just this pulpit. There's preaching, there's teaching that goes on, there's discipling, there's small conversations and one-on-one -on -one times, there's counseling that is being done. It's not just in our public setting. Even Paul said that here in verse 21. He said, testifying both 
I'm sorry, verse 20, teaching in public and from house to house. He continued his ministry from big scale down to small scale. This is the primary ministry of the shepherd. And we'll look, if you will bear with me going back and forth between chapter 6 and 20, or you can just listen to me as I read. Back in chapter 6, we see what happens when the shepherds of the church are able to devote themselves to the ministry of the word. Verse 7, it says, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Small bit of irony there that the priests now became obedient to the faith. The priests whose ministry it was to minister the word of God to Israel were now listening to these new shepherds of the church and hearing their ministry of the word and coming to faith in Christ. And that's a theme throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 19. The word of God increased. When the shepherds of the church minister the word, God works through that to build his flock. So pastors, the church needs pastors, and the church needs pastors, shepherds who minister the word. The church also needs shepherds who live among the sheep. The ministry of the word is not done in isolation. It's not done just on Sunday mornings from the pulpit, and it's not done at a distance from the sheep. There's not a complete separation here. When they say in Acts chapter 6, the apostles, that they need to devote themselves to the word of God as opposed to serving tables, they're not distancing themselves from the flock and saying, we're too good for that, that's just sheep stuff and we're the shepherds. They're just having to prioritize. We see that the ministry of the word as they carried out in the book of Acts is done in the context of life with the flock. When Paul describes here his ministry of the word in Acts chapter 20, he starts off by saying in verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you. He didn't say, you, don't, you yourselves know everything I told you. He didn't limit his ministry to just what he told them. He did it in the context of living with them, sharing life with them. They didn't just hear him when he was preaching in public. They saw him every day because he lived with them for years. He describes this to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel, not just what we proclaim, but also our own selves. Paul and his people traveling with him were willing to devote their whole self, their whole life in ministry. The sheep need to see that what is spoken is also lived out. And no pastor is going to do that perfectly. No shepherd is going to be perfect, except Jesus. The sheep need to see that what is spoken is lived out. And even when the shepherd fails, that the shepherd knows what to do, how to repent, how to turn to Christ, and how to grow in Christ. Because the shepherd is also a sheep the pastors of the church. We are under shepherds, under Jesus. We are also sheep, and we need to live out what we preach as well. So shepherds must live among the sheep. Shepherds must also watch over the flock. See in Acts chapter 20, as Paul begins to charge 
the church, the elders of the church. He says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I want to point out to you first that word overseer. That's a word that's used to describe pastors throughout the New Testament. Shepherds must oversee, we must see over the whole flock. Even where responsibilities are delegated to deacons and others, shepherds have to see over that and, and watch and be aware. They need to know the whole flock. There's an aspect of administration, organizing and leading and making decisions that are bound up in this word oversee. And a part of that is watching the flock and protecting it. The first thing that the pastors, the shepherds, must watch is themselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves. The church needs pastors that know that an unwatched pastor is one of the most dangerous things to the flock. You should expect your pastors to watch themselves and not pose a threat to the flock. The church is full of stories, tragic stories, where pastors, shepherds have gone unwatched and the church is the worst for it. Pastors also need to watch outside. We must be aware of wolves coming in. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. There are people who want to see the church destroyed. And even though they're wolves, they do not look like wolves all the time. They look like sheep some of the time. And unfortunately, even though Paul warns these elders, we know from history that Ephesus experienced a, a fall and a, a crumbling where false teachers had come in, led them astray. In Revelation chapter 2, they are chastised because they had abandoned their first love. False teachers, wolves had come up, come in and taken them away from their first love. This happens in the church. This happens in almost every Christian institution. We see tragic examples. The, the uh, famed college institutions, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, those were all founded as evangelical Protestant gospel preaching colleges. You cannot say that about them now. There are churches all over the world that used to preach the gospel, and they're empty today. Cathedrals in Europe are empty, or there are hollow shadows of God's word being preached there. We don't have the same type of wolves, maybe, as they did in Acts chapter 20. We don't have itinerant speakers traveling around, coming in, trying to gather a following, or anything like that. We have other wolves. We have wolves that are on TV. We have wolves that write books that are sold in Christian bookstores whose messages tear down the church. In our recent survey, our recent pastoral survey, many of you correctly said that one of the responsibilities of a pastor is to protect the flock against these wolves. Let me ask you maybe a hard question. Are you ready for a shepherd to come and say, don't listen to that guy? 
Don't listen to him preach on TV. He's a wolf. Don't read that book. That is not good for the church. Are you ready to hear that from your shepherds? The shepherds watch outside, but the shepherds also must watch inside. Verse 30, And from among you, your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The wolves sometimes look like sheep, and they sometimes make it into the flock. And you might say, no, not here. This is a good church. This This is a happy place. This is a safe space. There aren't wolves here. We must watch because the wolves hunt where the sheep are. If wolves are wearing sheep's clothing, they're going to try and blend in with the sheep. I think sometimes this might be unintentional. Those sheep who have listened to wolves on TV or in books or somewhere else might imbibe some of that and unknowingly pass that on. So are you ready for a shepherd to say, don't say that. That's not God's word. But we might have active wolves that we have to watch out for. We don't relish that task. But the church needs shepherds who are watching out for that. This profile here that we've gotten a little bit, the pastor, gives us a very high bar of what a, a pastor, a shepherd should be a very high rubric, uh, a scoring sheet that we should judge him against. And you should expect these things. The church should expect these things. But the church also needs to not expect everything. We also need to expect pastors that have to say no to some things so that they can say yes to the more important things. We have to expect the right things of our pastors. So because the church needs organization, the church needs deacons, the church needs shepherds. Lastly, the church also needs servants. And what we're describing here, pastors and deacons, they're servants. Deacons are those designated to serve in a certain area. Pastors serve by, by ministering the word. And they serve by humbling themselves and being willing to do other things as they're called on. We're, we're not above doing things that are described as service. But everyone is supposed to be a servant. It's not just limited to pastors and deacons. The church needs sheep that are not drafting sheep. In a bike race like the Tour de France, you have a guy up front who is leading the way and he's breaking through the wind And others get behind him and follow because the wind isn't as rough there. It's not as hard. The church needs sheep who are not drafters, who are not letting the deacons do all the serving, but who are serving alongside them. We are all servants. Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Galatians 5, 13 tells us, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's steward of God's varied grace. If we go back to Acts chapter 6, I want to point out something else that should mark the sheep serving. 
The sheep, the church needs sheep that are not grumblers. We kind of skipped over this at first, but the description of the issue going on in the early church in Acts chapter 6 arises by a complaint from the Hellenists. And the word used there as a complaint is not a word that's used in the New Testament in a good way. Philippians 2. Do nothing with grumbling or complaining. Sorry, I'm not quoting that correctly. But you get the idea. We should... This is not something that is happening well. Even though there is a real issue that had the Hellenists were being neglected, the way that it came to the attention of the apostles and leadership was because of complaining and grumbling. Church needs sheep that when things are going wrong, there's not grumbling and complaining, that there's not a, a us versus them that happens division. It's the Hebrews versus the Hellenists. It's this party versus this party. The church needs sheep that don't do that. When things go wrong in the church, things aren't being done as well as they should, and I probably won't surprise you by saying this, that's going to happen. It's going to happen in our church. We're, we're not a perfect church. We have cracks and gaps. When we do that, we need sheep who will do a, a triage. You know, in the ER, they do a triage. A person comes in with a heart attack and a person comes in with a sprained ankle. Who gets the attention first? The heart attack. When you have a heart attack, you treat that differently than you treat the guy with the sprained ankle. The guy with the sprained ankle doesn't need, uh, whatever you call those, the, I'm blanking now, that device that gives that electric shock that we have right out there. Triage. Let me ask you, let me suggest, one of the first things that you need to ask yourself when you see something going wrong or not being done as well is, is this something wrong, or is this just something I don't like? And I, I hope that you'll agree with me that those are not exactly the same thing. If there's something that's going wrong, we should not like that. But there are a lot of things that we don't like that are not necessarily wrong. And depending on what the issue is, there's a different response and a different priority. In both of those, the answer is to communicate, to, to go to the person. God clearly lays out the appropriate response for something that's being done wrong. Go to that person. When you have a question, you're confused about something, you, something you don't like, and you think maybe we could change this, come and talk to us. I was very glad this week to have someone come and express their issue to me this week. A young man was confused and didn't like something and thought maybe there's something wrong there. And guess what he did? He came and talked to me about it. It was great. Let's do that more. Appropriate response is to communicate, but there's a difference. If there's something that's wrong, our expectation should be that it changes. If it's wrong, then we need to fix it. But if it's just something we don't like and we can communicate about it, we don't have an expectation that it must be changed. So let's be careful. Let's not be sheep that grumble. Let's do the right triage and sort these out and handle it the right way. We want you to come and talk to us. If, if you see something where there's a gap, a crack in the church, come and talk to us. There's a good chance we, we know about it. The, the pastors, the, the staff, 
uh, the deacons and the ministries that they're overseeing. There's a good chance we know about it. We still want to talk to you about it. We want you to know. Yes, we do know about that. We are doing this to, to take care of it, or we haven't been able to do anything yet. What would you, how can we fix this? There's also a good chance we don't know about it. So please, come talk to us. Church also needs sheep and servants. Sorry, not yet. Needs servants that are not fame seekers. I was just struck looking at this passage this week. The list of men who are here. In verse 5, we know two of those men, Stephen and Philip. They show up later in the book of Acts doing other ministries and highly regarded. There are these other men, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus. Men that none of us know anything else about, and none of us probably would have been able to name if we weren't sitting here looking at that passage this morning. And I am just struck by, by that fact. I don't think that the other men, Philip and Stephen and the apostles and the other people in the New Testament who we know who they are and what they did, they weren't seeking that attention. They weren't seeking their name to be written down in the scriptures for thousands of years. They probably had the same attitude, but I'm struck by these men. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies, that, one of our family's favorite movies, uh, the, the old musical, White Christmas. And there's a lot of focus on General Waverly in that story and wanting to honor him correctly. But as I watch that, I'm really actually struck by, as, as much as General Waverly's character is demonstrable and somebody you just want to like. I'm struck by the guy that's standing next to him, his adjutant. The guy who, no one knows his name in the story. He spent his whole military career trying to do what this guy wanted to do. Making General Waverly get the job done and him get the praise. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus who serve and it doesn't matter if anyone knows our name. You know what? We have a lot of servants like that in our church. There are a lot of things that get done that most people don't know. Who did it? When? We have a lot of faithful servants who are not fame seekers in our church. When, when Pastor Matt and I go and visit someone or call them on the phone. We almost never go and visit someone or speak to them without running into someone else from our church already being there. And most of those men and women do it for no glory. We have some, we have some good sheep. The church needs sheep who are not fame seekers. Ultimately, though, the church needs the servant Jesus He's the great shepherd. He's the great servant. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 10, 45. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And what did that lead him to do? I laid down my life for my sheep. Shepherd is not a glamorous role. It's despised throughout all of the ancient civilizations. When Jesus came and made himself flesh, he took on the role of a servant, a shepherd. 
when Paul is charging the Ephesian elders with their responsibility to the church, he says this. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Why? He obtained with his own blood. Jesus loves the church and wants to serve it so much that he obtained it with his own blood. This body of Christ that cost Jesus his blood to serve, we dare not undervalue. And we dare not underserve. If Jesus served it, the church needs us to serve it as well. Let's sum it all up with this, Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to close singing praise to this God. Let us serve him and praise him for what he is due. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, the shepherd of the church. Thank you that you give the church under shepherds. But God, we pray that you would make us all servants of the church. This church that Jesus bought with his own blood. In Jesus' name, amen.